Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report, and I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. At the beginning of this week, we told you about how thousands of unionized Kaiser Permanente nurses and other healthcare workers in California are preparing to go on strike. That after months of fruitless negotiations with management. KPCC's Jackie Fortier reports that talks still remain frozen. Unions for nurses, therapists, and other health workers have officially given notice. That means more than 28,000 Kaiser employees in Southern California will go on strike in 10 days after rejecting a contract that includes a 2% raise and a lump sum amount. They say it's not good enough. When I saw this proposal, I was so disgusted. Charmaine Morales is executive vice president for United Nurses Associations of California and Union of Healthcare Professionals. The union is also objecting to a proposed two-tiered wage system. Kaiser is proposing lower wages for future workers than for people on the job now. And I know some people may use other words, but I'm going to say it's baloney. We're saying no to the two-tier system, and we mean it. For its part, Kaiser says healthcare is increasingly unaffordable, and wages are a big part of the reason. The company says its union members earn 26 percent above the average industry wage. A two-tier system would help keep costs down without cutting the wages of current employees. That doesn't sit well with Doug Wong, a physician assistant who provides mental health services at Kaiser Permanente Riverside. He'd be working alongside someone else, making a lot less money. My nine-year-old, she said, um, I want to be a therapist when I grow up, Daddy. We have those (laughs) in our union. It would be tough to say, okay, well, I'll sign a 26% pay cut for you in the future just to save my own skin for now. Wong has been working with COVID patients for months in urgent care, taking extra shifts to triage the flood of patients during the height of the pandemic, then going back to his regular shifts as a therapist, where he helps people digest the trauma of losing family members to the virus. You walk in from the the employee parking lot and and they have signs saying, you know, you're a hero. And and in some ways you kind of believe that that you're doing some good and that you're appreciated. And then it comes to negotiations to have that sort of pulled away does sort of shake an understanding that you, you thought you had. California law requires a 10-day strike notice so that hospitals can prepare. If a solution isn't reached, pharmacists, nurses, therapists, and others won't show up for work starting November 15th. For The California Report, I'm Jackie Fortier in Los Angeles.
A new investigation from the Los Angeles Times has found that thousands of times a year, Los Angeles County Sheriff deputies pull over bicyclists for minor infractions. The cyclists are then searched, even though law enforcement has no reason to believe they'll find anything illegal. And this is disproportionately affecting Latino bicyclists. The California Report's Keith Mizuguchi spoke with Times reporters Aline Chekmedvian and Ben Poston about their investigation. We spent a lot of time in neighborhoods that were targeted by sheriff's deputies. We talked to more than 60 riders in East LA and Norwalk and in Linwood and Willowbrook and other places, um, including 40 of them who had said they'd been stopped at least once some multiple times. You know, a lot of them rely on, on cycling to get to and from work, to run errands. Um, many can't afford to, to buy a car or to drive to work or just as their main mode of transportation is, is cycling. So, you know, some of the people that we talked to, they kind of shrugged off these stops as kind of an inconvenience that comes with living in neighborhoods with high crime, and, but others felt that they were being harassed because they either fit a vague description of someone that deputies claim to be looking for, usually because of their race, or they were just being targeted because of the color of their skin. And in most of the cases, deputies didn't really find anything on these bicyclists, correct? They didn't find any weapons. They didn't find any drugs. There was really no reason to pull them over, and they actually released them. Yeah, the search rate is so high at 85%, but they're finding contraband, illegal items such as drugs or weapons, um, and like you know, about 8% of the searches. So that's very low, what they would call a very low hit rate a very low success rate of, of finding contraband. And yeah, I mean, you know, the, the search rate being so high is is obviously concerning to a lot of people we talk to. But then when you look at, you know, Latino cyclists, so they're the most likely to be stopped compared to their share of the population and their share of estimated bike riders in the sheriff's patrol area. They're the most likely to be searched, um, but they're the least likely to be found with contraband. The department has come under a lot of criticism, uh, not just recently, but over the last few years. I imagine this can lead to even further distrust in the communities where deputy shootings have occurred and killings have occurred. And there's already been a lot of protest about many of the actions of the department. There have been, you know, high profile shootings in the last several years. And, uh, you know, the department's come under fire for having, you know, groups of deputies with matching tattoos within the department. And, you know, currently they're under investigation by the state attorney general who is conducting a pattern and practice investigation into whether deputies um, have violated the rights of, of residents in their patrol areas. In terms of the sheriff's department, what's been their response to your investigation? We sent the sheriff's department our, our findings and, you know, they defended bike stops as a necessary and legitimate strategy in, in fighting crime. And they said that the 8% contraband hit rate that Ben spoke about didn't raise serious questions for them. And you know, they just sort of defended the practice. Aline Chekmedjian and Ben Poston are reporters for the LA Times. Thank you both so much for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Thanks. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. 
Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. Next week, the city of L.A. will enact some of the toughest COVID-19 verification rules in the country. Patrons visiting indoor businesses, sports venues, and cultural institutions will have to show proof of full COVID vaccination. But municipal authorities say they won't cite or find venues that don't initially follow the rules, giving them time to adjust. But after a warning comes the stick. Businesses and institutions that don't comply with the COVID requirements could face fines starting at $1,000 for the first violation and topping out at $5,000 for a fourth and subsequent violations. In related news, California just received the last chunk of federal COVID relief dollars aimed at helping the state's students recover from the pandemic. KQED's Julia McAvoy reports. The $5 billion being released is money schools are already expecting and brings the total to $15 billion. The state had to show how it would spend the money first, a plan it took until late last month to submit. The money will come in handy as school districts pivot to vaccinate 5- to 11-year-olds. The state says it will use some of it to set up 800 clinics over this month and next to help vaccinate some 450,000 students. The money should also help states hire more teachers' assistants and staff to help with students' social and emotional needs. Districts can apply for grants, of which 10 percent must be used to address lost instructional time, especially for English learners and students with disabilities. For the California Report, I'm Julia McAvoy. A leading agricultural industry group says the global supply chain problems are hitting California's farmers hard. Roger Isom is president of the Western Agricultural Processors Association. It represents the cotton and tree nut industries. He tells the California Report many ships are dropping all their cargo off at Southern California ports and then skipping a trip up to the Port of Oakland to pick up exports. 100% of the cotton grown in California is exported. And on average, when you look at all four tree nuts, about 70% of it's exported. So it's having a huge impact on our ability to get our products sold. Isom says most growers north of the Central Valley rely on the Port of Oakland to export their products, and they're having to find other ways to transport their goods, even sending them to other ports in the U.S. They're doing so at a loss, but they don't want to lose that market share. You know, that's those are our customers. They've been longtime customers and we're hoping when this gets straightened out that we can go right back to it if we don't they're going to go you know they're going to start buying their product from other countries isom says they're still trying to quantify the amount of money the industry has lost to the port backlog but he says it's in the millions and millions of dollars 
And now to our sister show, The California Reports Weekly Magazine. This week, a look at the growing population of Californians who identify as mixed race. Here's host Sasha Coca with a preview. What are you? It's a question those of us who are mixed race might get our entire lives. The latest census, though, shows we're a demographic to pay attention to. 2020 data reflect a 276% increase in Americans who identify as multiracial compared to back in 2010. Yet mixed-race folks are just beginning to find a space to tell our stories. When we put a call out to listeners asking what's one thing only fellow mixed folks understand about growing up mixed— we were flooded with responses. I, I think that the most common question that I, I got growing up was, what are you? Or what's your background? I had black friends who would stop me in, in the hall and be like, ask me what I am. Um, I would get that a lot. I would often get as a kid that question of what are you? Wait, are you black or something? Suddenly it's like, you know, where do I fit in? You know, who do I identify with? I was the white boy. I was Ruben the Cuban. I was Blanquito. It just depended on where I was. Identity's always complicated, and for those of us who are multiracial, it can be isolating. On this week's show, we'll also explore how it can be invigorating and rich to belong to multiple communities and celebrate our complexity. That's Sasha Coca, host of the California Reports Weekend Magazine. To catch this week's show, hear it on public radio stations, or download the podcast. Again, that's the California Report Magazine. And that is the California Report for Friday, November 5th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. Our engineers are Danny Bringer, Katie McMurrin, and Brendan Willard, with assistance from Jim Bennett and Chris Hoff. Our producers are Mary Franklin Harvin and Keith Mizuguchi. Our senior editors, Angela Corral. Our director of news is Vinnie Tong. Our executive editors, Ethan Tovin Lindsay. And our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. I'm your host, Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening, and have a great weekend. Support for the California Report comes from Real California Milk, reminding listeners to take three simple steps to recycle gallon milk jugs. Pour it, cap it, bin it. Learn more at RecycleTheJug.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, focused on finding exceptional people and helping them do more for others together. On the web at SchmidtFutures.com and the California Healthcare Foundation, working to build a more effective, compassionate, and just healthcare system on the web at chcf.org slash health dash equity. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Randa Fettah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today.
you can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? It's history, it's people, it's unique blend of cultures. Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! <laughs> 